This is The Relish Podcast with Kate Stevenson. Hello there. Here we are again. I'm Kate Stevenson. So this, of course, is The Relish Podcast, a celebration of all those things we love to eat, drink, see and do. This week on the show, how does a bloke born in Toronto and raised in Austin, Texas, end up feeding us fabulous, authentic Southeast Asian street food right here in Melbourne? I will ask Rice Paper Scissors group exec chef Noah Crowcroft exactly that. Also, there are only 275 qualified master sommeliers in the world which pretty much means the only way you'll usually get the benefit of their experience and that unparalleled wine knowledge is by paying to dine at some of the world's priciest restaurants. So what if I told you that two of those master sommeliers are based right here in Melbourne and have started a wine club that lets you get your hands on hand-selected, rare and unique wines across a range of prices? I will speak to Dorian Guillon and Carlos Santos about how we all get on board. And in Eat, Drink, Do Melbourne, well, a long lunch with six of this country's best chefs on offer at Hotel Sorrento. The horse has seriously bolted as Colt Dining opens in Mornington. Your chance to enjoy an intimate dinner with the teams from Henry Sugar and Maid and I, dress up for drag yum char at Wong Baby on Cup Day and enjoy the best of New York with a Manhattan high tea at Melbourne's Marriott Hotel. All that is coming up on the Relish Podcast, celebrating the best in food, wine and travel for Melbourne's Easy Music 3MP. At Easy Music 3MP, relax with us and all your favourite songs. God only knows what I need. all the songs you love from the 60s, 70s and 80s. Easy music, 3MP. You know, I love that in Melbourne, most of us have some go-tos, those places you recommend where you know people are going to get a great taste and great value feed. And for a long time for me, one of those has been Rice Paper Scissors. I know a lot about one of their former chefs, Ross Magnay, but not so much about current group executive chef Noah Crowcroft. So what better time to start than now? Noah, welcome. Hello, thanks for having me. No, no worries at all. So, rice, paper, scissors. Obviously, I know the venues. You've got the the venues in the city and in Brunswick Street. What is the inspiration yep. behind the place? What's the idea? So, we serve Southeast Asian inspired tapas. Um, we we take inspiration from Vietnam, Thailand, Malaysia mainly, and really just try to um, take delicious street food that we love from over there, make it um, even better and give people a bit of variety when they sit down to dine with us. And it's interesting you say variety. The other thing that I feel like has always stuck out for me at Rice Paper Scissors, and I think previously previously as well, Rice Paper Sister, is that brilliant balance between authentic flavours, you know, and, and yeah. sort of doing it a little bit differently, but also for those central locations where, you know, there's lots of competition, there's some great restaurants, you guys seem to really have a commitment to value for your for your patrons. Yeah. Is that a deliberate thing? Absolutely. I mean, we, we try to have a bit of fun with it. We try not to take ourselves too seriously. Um, one of the biggest things that we teach our staff is to have fun while at work because it's not just about the food, it's about the experience as well so we want we want to make sure that our staff are having a good time so our patrons have a good time but yeah we with the with the food itself i mean we sometimes we serve really traditional dishes and other times we'll kind of take inspiration to do something a bit fun and silly like for for example i've got a 
Thai hot dogs on the menu at the moment, oh. which sounds really basic, but everyone's telling me it's their new favorite dish. Yeah. Um, so we have a bit of fun with it, and it's just we're all about big, bold flavors. Um, the choose five option on our menu allows people to they pick a few dishes they want to try and, and let our staff kind of guide them through. And is that a big thing at the moment? Because I love that, Noah. I know that, you know, when I go yeah. out, I'm much more likely to choose lots of little dishes than, you know, one yeah. big one and, you know, it just feels a little bit boring. But also that, you know, it feels like it, it's kind of a weird time for people at the moment that knowing what you're going to go out, basically an idea of what you spend and or what you're spending on food so then you can kind of, mm. you know, do what you want with the drinks. Do you find that that really works? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, everybody's struggling with the cost of living and food prices continue to go up. But I think we're really good at um, giving people the value for money. And even though a lot lot of people that are new customers will come in and they're like, oh, I don't really want to do a banquet. You know, I think this isn't going to be enough food. And then, um, you know, we've got people asking us for takeaway containers when they go (laughs) because they've they've ordered too much. Um, So, yeah, I, I think you definitely get your dollars worth when you come in our doors. Yeah. Now, I can't help but notice the accent, Noah. What, what's your story? Where are you from yeah, originally? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a mutt. Um, <laughs> my, my parents were Australian but uh, emigrated to the US. Uh, I was born in Canada and then raised in Texas. Raised in Texas? Parents, so, Whereabouts? Yeah. Uh, Austin. Austin, Austin Texas. Texas. Right. Yeah, so, pretty, pretty so cool city. raised in Austin, Texas to uh, Australian parents, how on earth do you end yeah. up cooking such fabulous, authentic Southeast Asian cuisine here in Melbourne? That That is a very long story <laughs> that I won't um, get into too much detail, but the, the gist of it is that, um, I mean, growing up in Texas, my my exotic go-tos were, were Mexican and Cajun food. I mean, that was the, the exciting stuff we had over there. The yeah. only Asian food we had was, you know, bad Chinese buffets and worse sushi. Um, And when I, because I had extended family in Australia, I I came over here a lot as a kid and a teenager. And then um, when I was a budding chef and I wanted to broaden my horizons, I I had citizenship here. So I thought I'd come over and check it out. Started on Hamilton Islands, thinking I would stay there for a year. Nice start. Yeah, it was a nice start. Um, but immediately, even on Hamilton Island, just started getting exposed to Asian ingredients and flavors mm. that I'd never heard of. Um, and then moving to Melbourne and, and venturing into Chinatown and, and going to all these delicious Thai restaurants, I was pretty blown away. And when I got my first opportunity to really cook professional um, Southeast Asian food at Red Spice Road, that that really just kind of left me Godsmacked and um, haven't looked back since. I, I love cooking this food. So I think everybody, lots of people will know rice, paper, scissors. What they may not know is that mm. you guys have opened a pretty special function space called Auntie Kim's in Johnson yeah. Street, Collingwood. What's the aim there? So we're, we're staying true to ourselves with doing Southeast Asian food, but it's definitely um, a, a more, ele- uh, excuse me, more elegant calibre. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my best friends, Malcolm Wright, is the head chef over at Auntie Kim's. I've worked with him a very long time and He's uh, cooked in Michelin star restaurants over in England uh, and was head chef at Maha for some time. Um, and he's just brought a whole other element to that venue of just putting up some really special Southeast Asian food for special occasions. Um, it is a function venue, so mainly um, weddings, birthdays. Uh, we do a little bit of corporate events and some out catering. I had my wedding there as well oh, with, did with Malcolm you? as my best man. Oh. Yeah, that's um, oh, no pressure, made guys. A few people nervous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> it was really good. It was nice to be on the other side. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's you know we're we're still doing Southeast Asian food. It's just uh, a bit of a higher caliber, kind of stepping a little bit further away from that street food elements. 
Um, and it's a really beautiful venue. Um, it's dark and moody, chandeliers. Um, we can we can put a theater curtain down the middle of the venue to yeah. break it into two rooms. So it's pretty diverse. And I have been in. I know that you are also doing from time to time some collaboration lunches too, Noah. Mm. And I managed to get along to your one with Jerry Mai. And A, the food yeah. was insane but that like it's such a beautiful room and a beautiful venue you know stepping in off johnson street which is you know typical inner city kind of little bit grungy it is such a sort of such a juxtaposition there as as you wander in and see chandeliers and and all that sort of thing totally yeah well it was it was quite an interesting process because as you said it is a bit of a grungy area but i I feel like it's also a very up-and-coming area i mean there's a lot of new development happening around that intersection um, and it was funny when we first moved in and started renovating that um, it actually used to be a Thai restaurant for about 25 oh, years. Seriously. And bef- before that, it was a Greek restaurant, but it was interesting that they'd never changed the decor. <laughs> so you walked into this <laughs> venue that had like the fishnets hanging and looked like a Greek seafood restaurant, but it was Thai. <laughs> it was really interesting. Um, but yeah, the, the space had been empty for quite some time. And when we started gutting it, it was very interesting just seeing people walk past and trying to look in the windows to see what we were doing and people finally just started coming in and asking us what is this place um so yeah it's got it's gotten better and better and we're ramping up for a busy uh function season ahead yeah no doubt hey we're just coming into our i don't even like saying it's second year i guess out of covid but you know Mm. sort of presented with with i guess some different challenges now how does the future of dining in melbourne feel for you or specifically for the rice paper scissors group Oh, it feels good. Um, I mean, I think what, one thing that I think is pretty special that came out of COVID is all the alfresco dining we now have. Um, yeah, I mean, we yeah. everybody you know applied for permits and built these decks out on the street so that we didn't have to cram everybody inside. And uh, a lot of councils have allowed us to keep them. And at Fitzroy, we've got a big deck out the front just sitting there on Brunswick Street. So um, I love driving around Melbourne and you just see these alfresco spots everywhere. I think that's one benefit that came out of it. Yeah. But um, look, I think people are just hungry to go out and um, and enjoy themselves. I mean, we're all cooped up for a long time and we live in a very special city with a lot of delicious food. So we're very fortunate that we have so much to choose from. Uh-huh. Um, and Rice, Paper, Scissors is actually coming up on its 10th birthday. Um, so we're going to do a, we're going to do a function giveaway to, um, if anybody wants, is interested, they can head to our website next month and look at how to enter it. But we wanted to give something back to all of our loyal patrons for all of their support during COVID and um, over these last 10 years. I love it. The best possible way to check it out too, if they haven't been before. Noah Crowcroft, Group Executive Chef of Rice Paper Scissors Group. It's so lovely to chat to you in person after enjoying your food recently. We'll encourage people to head to ricepaperscissors.com.au to check out the menus, including what looks like a very fun uh, weekend bottomless brunch and, and those great value five Absolutely. dish banquets and to get ready for that giveaway next month. Thank you so much, Noah, for chatting to me today. Thanks, Kate. We'll see you soon. Stick around. Coming up with only 275 master sommeliers in the world, I'll tell you how you can get two of them to select and share the story of some great wines just for you on Relish, celebrating the best in food, wine and travel for Melbourne's Easy Music 3MP. This is the Relish Podcast with Kate Stevenson. Well, it's hard to explain just how accomplished my next guests are, but then again, it's not really. They are both members of the Court of Master Sommeliers, the most prestigious qualification for the world of wine. 
of which there are only 275 current members worldwide. Introduced in 1969, the court is the premier examining body for sommeliers worldwide. Carlos Santos and Dorian Guillon have worked in some of the best restaurants in the world, including London's Dinner by Heston, where they work together, and Vieux de Monde right here in Melbourne. But now they are bringing their wealth of wine knowledge to a wider audience than those who can afford a fine dining experience. They're launching My Sommelier's Wine Club. They join me now. Carlos and Dorian, welcome. Hi, Kate. Thank you for having us. No, thank you. Gee, it is hard to know where to start with you two because you're on the other side of the world from where you were born and, and where you started your wine and food journeys. Carlos, in a nutshell, what was your journey to here? Uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, look, from a small uh, little restaurant uh, back home uh, at a very young age uh, to to fall in love with hospitality straight from the get-go. So I was super young. Um, and then hospitality school, I think that's that what sparked really for me. I was, uh, I don't know, 15 or 16 at, at that time. And I remember the teacher talking about uh, Lafitte Rothschild and Moton Rothschild uh, as the uh, some of the most expensive wines in the world. And he would tell the price and I was like, oh my goodness, that is crazy. Like, And uh, and I didn't even know that, you know, other countries were making wine. I thought it was maybe only Portugal or I have no clue. <laughs> anyway, so um, so it started, it started from there. I think it sparked that curiosity. And then I remember going into bookshops and every now and then buy a book. Not that I read them at that time, but every now and then I would buy a book. But um, but then more seriously was when I did work in my first Michelin star in Lisbon, uh, which was kind of my dream restaurant. When I was in hospitality school, it just opened and it was considered the best restaurant in the country. So I was like, yeah, this is what I'm going to work. I'm going to work in this restaurant one day. So the time passed by until I finally worked there. And then once I started working at this restaurant, uh, it was called Eleven, um, Restaurant 11, one Michelin star, uh, the, the restaurant manager would tell me, well, if you want to be a serious sommelier, you got to work in London and you got to work at Gordon Ramsay with Joan Peters, which, which was my mentor, which became Doria's mentor after as well. But anyway, so he, uh, he would tell me this and I started sending my CV to London, to Gordon Ramsay once, twice, three, four, five times. I was so, so insistent as I can be, uh, <laughs> And uh, and their reply would always be that, no, I'm sorry, we are not looking for uh, people at this time. And, um, you know, we will come back to you at some point if we ever need. And I was like, I remailed on the same minute. And I, I was like, well, um, I really want to work in your restaurant. If I need to work in better places to build a better CV, then I will do that so I can work for you one day. And I think like maybe less than five minutes after, they mailed me back asking to come for the trial shift the week after. So this is obviously I was in Lisbon. This is to go to London. So I was like, yeah, perfect. Got it. Um, so so I did I'd go to, Lind- to London the week after. And and uh, yeah, the trial shift was one day. I, I asked them if I could stay for the whole week uh, doing the trial. I really wanted to get the job until uh, until I finally did. Yeah, after the week, they uh, they invited me to come back, and that's it. And the rest is history. So I started working with Juan Pires, and then we opened Dinner by Heston Blumenthal. Um, so was there 
two years and a half or nearly or three years, three years and a half, maybe I can't remember two, three, two, two years and a half, maybe. And, uh, and then, and then I moved to London, to Melbourne from, from London. Uh, no, actually I did work in Paris a little bit as well. So, uh, just under a year, uh, in another two Michelin star with, um, a very famous uh, French chef. Mm-hmm. And, and then yes, from Paris, I came to Melbourne and that's what I, that's where we re-encountered ourselves again, me and Dorian. <laughs> Amazing. And Dorian, was your story very dissimilar, sort of from, I guess, France to, to Melbourne? Um, yeah, me was a little bit different. So uh, Carlos um, started with his one journey, I'll say, uh, much earlier than me. Yeah, well, I mean, my family, We are. I'm from the Loire Valley in France, which yeah. is a wine region, obviously. But my family doesn't drink wine. You know, wow. my grandparents were drinking wine, mixing wine with water. So, you know... <laughs> Like, like a lot of family actually in France, like there's not, you know, wines is being consumed very often at the table, but it doesn't mean that everyone in France has a big wine cellar with prestigious wine. That's not the case at all. Mm. So yeah, my family background is more like middle class and we're not exposed to great wine at all. And, um, you know, I don't think I visited a single vineyard uh, until I was a sommelier in my own region, actually. So wow. um, yeah, it started a bit later. I was not too sure what to do. But um, I was working, I moved from France to London uh, when I was uh, 20. Um, and then I was working in bar and restaurants. And I put a bit of money on the side and traveled to South America. And um, one of the countries that I visited was Argentina. And uh, we visited Mendoza, which is the most important wine region in Argentina. And th- there we did uh, a little wine tour. And then, you know, I just really loved the environment that we were in you know we are surrounded by mountains but beautiful vineyards um trying wines there were some kind of sommelier working for the wineries uh explaining us how to test wine and you know the geology the history so all of that kind of a strike you know a, a certain love for the product and i was like okay when i'm gonna come back to london maybe i should study wine because it seems that you know, I could I could work in wine and I could really, really enjoy it because it's touching on so many subjects. So, yeah, I had to travel all the way to Argentina to discover my passion, actually. <laughs> Growing up in a wine <laughs> region one, in France. In one of the most important wine regions in France, exactly. And so, yeah, I came back to London and I uh, was working in a restaurant and I was starting to study with the with the WESET, the Wine Spirit Education Trust. Yeah. Um, I took my level two and then... Shortly after that, I took my level three, and then after that, I was like, okay, maybe I need to, I need to be surrounded by a team that will will be, you know, very passionate and will take me to um to a different level. Mm-hmm. And that's when I applied to the Madarin Hotel. So in the in the Madarin Hotel, there was two restaurants. There was dinner by Eston Blumenthal, where Joe Piles uh, was working with Carlos, and there mm-hmm. was another restaurant called Barbelud. And actually, I sent my CV to Babylon because I had no Michelin-style restaurant experience whatsoever. It was pretty low-key kind of restaurant I was working for. And uh, the sommelier there at the time was a, a gentleman called David Varey. And he said, I have no space for you, but I can send your CV to dinner by Heston. And uh, so my only thing really that I had was the Wasted Level 3. Yeah. And I had an interview with Joao because he needed some sommelier. And uh, we, yeah, we just had a very good feeling with each other. I mean, yeah, it seems like uh, it was very positive and Joe decided to hire me and I had no experience as somebody whatsoever. So 
um, you know, it's uh, shortly after it's a restaurant became two Michelin star, so it was a, a big bet on me from him, and I'm I'm forever grateful for that. But um, uh, yeah, while working there, I just discovered the world of sommelier and and the world of wine, the complexity of it. And uh, we had an amazing team um, with a few of us becoming masters, but it was constant studies. Mm. It was a uh, yeah, constant traveling as well because when you're in London, you can. You can travel pretty easily to uh, to some important wine regions uh, across Europe, and uh, yeah, constant learning and kind of testing each other and studying together. So me and Carlos, we become like very good um, studying buddy. If I yeah. Say that. And, um, yeah, we we we've been friends for ever since basically. So it's been uh, it's been what it's been twelve years, Carlos. Oh, 11 years now, 11 or 12 years now, yeah. yeah. So I think what's interesting yeah. for people listening is, you know, I don't think people would understand how, how long and how tough that journey is, you know, how much study you have to do, you know, actually getting in, getting the experience to get to some of the best restaurants in the world. And then there is the added complexity of what is going for that Master Sommelier qualification. And I know you guys both did that when you were at Vieux de Monde. Carlos, how, how tough is that process to actually get that qualification? Well, I think uh, I think View the Monde was the uh, was kind of the last step um, because because the the when I arrived I yeah I only had the master sommelier to to finish um, only <laughs> um, but, but uh, in when I was in London and in Paris I did take my my, my advanced course for so the level before. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, from the very early days, I think it was always about yeah having someone to study with, and in this case it was Dorian, and it was uh, Matthew and João and uh, Pierre, all the team that was really, really, extremely dedicated, and thankfully, you know, thanks, thanks to them, you know, for always pushing and for being so supportive that that we we can rely on each other, rely as in. Um, asking questions and be given questions basically you know so it's a teamwork you can't just uh, think that you're gonna study for you know five six hours a day and you're gonna make it because you may not study not be studying from the right angle mm. and they will be firing questions that you haven't thought of even though you just started you even you just studied six six hours on the same region for example so i think it was really the journey i think it was really really fascinating i learn a lot a lot a lot you know some days you know you just want to put so 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 much effort and as i said you know days off would be six seven eight twelve hours of study uh with little breaks in the middle but that's all irrelevant if you are not memorizing if you are actually not remembering what you're studying or not mm. understanding so i think um I learned more how to study towards the end uh, of the program. I think on the last year was when I really, really learned how to to study, um, and thankfully was was the perfect timing because I only needed to pass theory. He, and yeah, you know, it would be it would be quite exhausting because at that time at Vieux de Monde, uh, the team wasn't as solid as it is today. Mm. Um, especially the early years. I, w- I was at Vudemont for nine years, so the early years was a little bit more tricky until uh, we we got a stronger team. Um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of hours at work. But then again, even at work is all day long. We are reading wine labels. We are questioning each other. 
uh, about wine, about where this, where, where can, you know, blind tasting, where could this wine come from? Or who is the producer? Who is the winemaker? What's the better vintage? Uh, what's the wind pattern that influenced the growing of these grapes? Oh. What's the, the, the wine, what's the ocean current that influenced this wine region? Uh, what's the northernmost wine region where this wine come from? Uh, all this type of question will be constantly, like literally, you know, it would be 22 hours, not 22 hours a day, but 18 hours a day. The moment you are awake, you are thinking and um, questioning yourself and others about about wine, basically. Mm -hmm. So every hour, every hour awake was pretty much was pretty much put to dedication. And, and Darren would tell you, like, it was I was a little bit too excessive on that. Which, which is why I said on the last year I was a lot more consistent and I was a lot more give a lot more fresh air to the brain to actually allow to uh, to memorize stuff because it's important yeah. and um, and go to the cinema maybe a few more times than <laughs> <laughs> than you did the first year. So I mean, you know, it, it's amazing. I think for for people listening, you know, most of us, if we went to uni, we never worked that hard. Not even nearly. You know, you just try to get a pass. It's not, you know, it's nothing like it. So, so for people listening, and for people who wouldn't necessarily get the chance to go to something like Vudemont to get then get, you know, the the value of that experience and that knowledge and and the passion, you know. There is there is a plus now because you guys have come up with my sommeliers wine club. Dorian, what is it? Yeah, so basically, uh, we uh, we wanted to bring our our experience, you know, that we have in the world of wine. Um, you know, there's other restaurants that I haven't mentioned before. I came to Vudemont. There was a uh, a free Michelin style restaurant called Alain Ducasse as well at Dorchester in London mm -hmm. that I work with, um, and where we have. So me and Carlos have worked for like very high-end restaurants, you know, where we have big wineries, basically. And we have always worked with small producers. Um, and we wanted to bring, you know, our knowledge and, and what we share in the restaurants um, with our guests through, you know, their journey at the restaurant when we are serving tasting menus. You know, at dinner, for example, where it was more like a, a meal starter, main course dessert, but um, uh, Alain Ducasse, Vue de Monde, um, all the restaurants that Carlos worked for in, in Paris um, is testing menu. So we really spend a lot of time with guests. And when we do a wine pairing, you know, touching on which wine is going to go best with the food and, you know, explaining each wine uh, in, in more or less in great details. We don't have always to, the time to do that, but it's um, the idea is to really send the message that it's in a bottle and that. Uh, the style of one, the one, the, the one maker wanted to make, you know, it's, it's, and that's what we wanted to take basically the essence of what it is to be a sommelier and share it with more people than just, uh, you know, having to come to a restaurant to have this experience. So it's, uh, you staying in your home and we bring the one to you. That's really the idea. And, uh, you know, it's just being able to still work with high quality producers uh, from all over the world, because that's what we love. That's what we know. That makes us travel in a way. Um, you know, I love Australian wines, mm. but the wines, there's, you know, the world of wine is just so big. There's always something to learn and something to be um, interested by. And it makes me travel through wines. 
um, it makes me travel. And that's what I think me and Carlos really love and we love to share as well. Yeah. Carlos, um, was it important for you guys to also sort of make sure that, that you use different price points? Because you guys have three subscriptions um, where people, you know, depending on what they want to spend or can spend, they can still taste really unique, thoughtful wines, get the value of, of sort of your insights into them. Was it important to give people those options? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, because uh, the same as in uh, any other restaurant, you know, I think it's important to be very, very, I think, humble, I think, to that point, because uh, you can't just be arrogant to the way that, oh, you're just going to price high because that's the product we offer. No, I think it's just our work to select wines that are better priced that so everyone can enjoy a very nice bottle of wine. So from... Uh, I think the bottle of wine that we, you know, from $30 on a bottle shop to $750, uh, we have everything and in between. So from the wine packages, uh, we started $150, $250, and then $400. Um, and uh, again, $150, it's uh, the wines that we that we that we put on a subscription are wines that you can't find uh, on bottle shops. Mm. This is wine wines that go uh, on restaurants. Uh, we always try to look for wines that are on a location. So there will be very limited amount in the country for most, but obviously this is impossible to do every single time. Uh, but you are very, very unlikely to find these wines in bottle shops. So um, that's that was always the idea is to select wines that tell a story of the producer, tell a story of the region, the vintage. And uh, and then we match it. We, we write the full description of uh all the details of the wine, uh, the story the, of, of the wine, of the cuvee, of the vintage. And also uh, we tell a little bit of the wine pairing that you can enjoy the wine with. And also, you know, whether you should decant it and keep the bottle for another two, three, five or 10 years. So we give you a full insight of the bottle you are opening. Yeah. It just it, and I do I do know people who are subscribers guys who who were on uh, early doors I think got on board very early and really rave about that aspect of it that they really get you know your knowledge and your insights it feels very personal. Um Dorian Guion and Carlos Santos co-founders of My Sommelier's Wine Club I could talk to you all day. I cannot. It is just lovely to see such accomplished professionals who are also just really great blokes. I highly recommend people head to the website, which is ms-wineclub.com to check it out because you can see those subscriptions. You can see individual bottles for sale. You guys do courses as well. Um, so it's a great way to sort of dip your toes into to your own wine journey. You should be so proud of everything you've achieved. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you, Kate. Thanks to you. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much both. Stick around. There is plenty more to come on Relish celebrating the best in food, wine and travel for Melbourne's Easy Music 3MP. For lovers of easy music, it all adds up. DAB Plus is the innovation to your favourite station, Easy Music 3MP, where the music is nearer and clearer in stereo right across Melbourne. There is more 3MP to love by upgrading your radio to DAB+. Change the way you listen to 3MP. There is more to love on DAB+. Find out more at 3mp.com.au. All right, just enough time left now to do a bit of a wrap of some of the best things to eat, drink and do in Melbourne right now. 
starting with one for the calendar. And the Hotel Sorrento has just released the lineup for the latest in its Chef series. And it is a cracker. It's taking place on Sunday, the 12th of November. We're talking chefs like Shane D'Elia, Matt Wilkinson, Justine Schofield, Paul Wilson and Daniel Dobra coming together with the hotel's culinary director, the one and only George Columbaris, to collaborate on a menu that will showcase some of the best produce the Mornington Peninsula has to offer. With six courses, one from each chef, it's going to be a pretty special day. Head to hotelsorrento.com.au for more details. And seeing as we're down the peninsula, how about a brand new opening in downtown Mornington itself? Chef Maddie Fallon will be known to food lovers for stints at Jackalope's Rare Hair and also Dunord, but his new project is Cult Dining. They're promising impactful flavours without the fuss. So they've got great local and forage produce that they're cooking over wood fire, a thoughtful drinks list from beverage manager Zach Abbott, And it just feels like a bit of a reminder not to forget that this is the town that put the Mornington into the peninsula. I've been down. It is such a fun fit out. The service is fabulously friendly. And my tip to you on the food front after my visit, do not miss the Yabby Toast. You can plan your visit at coltdining.com. That's C-O-L-T, coltdining.com. To drinks, how about a very special collaboration? Melbourne's original vermouth makers, Maid and I, are teaming up with Carlton North fave Henry Sugar to put on a very special and very intimate dinner in their new space, Henry Home. We're talking 16 people only who will enjoy a six-course dinner from Chef Mike Baker paired with vermouth and special cocktails designed by Maid and I's founders, Gilles Lapalouse and Sean Byrne. It is all happening Thursday, November 9th. And clearly tickets aren't going to last that long. There's only 16 of them. So head to henrysugar.com.au to get in touch with the guys and secure your spot. And do, well, if you're looking for something to do on Cup Day that doesn't involve betting or horses, how about heading to South Yarra for Wong Baby's Drag Day, a heady mix of food and entertainment. You'll enjoy a yum char offering with 12 tasty dishes served at the table there for you, accompanied by bottomless cocktails and beers for a 90-minute session, plus, of course, a drag show, DJ, uh, some best-dressed competitions and giveaways. Head to the What's On page at wongbaby.com to secure your spot. Or maybe for something a little more demure, how about treating yourself to high tea? In the city, the Melbourne Marriott is putting on a Manhattan high tea, paying homage to the hotel's American roots with three tiers of savoury and sweet delights, including offerings like pastrami bagels, a mac and cheese croquette with sweet mustard pickle, or maybe a New York-style baked raspberry cheesecake. The high tea experience is $59 per person, or you can choose to package it up with King Valley Prosecco, uh, some Yarra Valley Chandon Brut, or maybe even New York-style cocktails. To get in touch and book your experience, head to melbournemarriott.com. And gee, that's it. That's me done for another episode of Relish. I'm always keen to hear your feedback. You can email me anytime, relish at 3mp.com.au. But this has been the Relish Podcast, celebrating the best in food, wine and travel for Melbourne's easy music, 3MP. You've been listening to the Relish Podcast with Kate Stevenson.